The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. My name is Ken Swanson. This is the AP Laboratory. It's the Mailbag Edition. Coming at you a little bit later than usual. This is the new schedule on the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel during the season. If the Chiefs are playing on Sunday, get used to it. This is what it's going to look like. And uh, we've got a lot of great questions to answer today. As always, you guys do a fantastic job, and I appreciate all those that you give us. And uh, here to help me talk about all these things are my dear pals. Find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane. Hello. Hello. It's a good week to be the fan of the reigning world champions who are sitting at 2-0 this NFL season. And it really doesn't matter what happened last week. We won. We don't need to talk about that game anymore. I'm sure we have zero questions about the Chargers game and the Chiefs' sketchy performance against them. So we're just all looking forward and all positivity from here on out. For me, Kent Swanson, and our third dear friend, the Renaissance man, the best of the three of us, find him on Twitter at Barley Hop, Craig Stout. How are you doing today? And I'm doing phenomenal. Yes, I'm sure we're going to get absolutely zero questions about the Los Angeles Chargers, and I'm sure everybody has reasonable expectations about the Baltimore Ravens game. Let, let, let's see what our fans have to say here. It's going to be lit, boys. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, we, uh, we answer five-star review questions when you leave them. Uh, I want to just make sure, just a couple shout-outs real quick. These weren't questions. Um, but MacG2087, uh, shout-out to him and all the other truck drivers that listen to this show. I hope you all had a wonderful Truck Drivers Appreciation Week last week. I hope there was free lunches in your, uh, in your, in your life. I know that it was Truck Driver Appreciation Week because I'm in the trucking industry as well. So I, I don't drive a truck. I work for a company that sells used trucks. Shout out to all of y'all. Appreciate all y'all and what y'all are doing for this country, especially you know this time. I hope you're getting the thanks you deserve. You're getting it right now from me. Uh, also, shout out to Zag uh, for asking about uh, Charvarius Ward. I think the timing of when your question kind of came out. Sorry about that. Uh, but just wanted to give you a shout out. Let's jump to a couple of these questions. Trev the Rev asks, who do you want most to take over at the X receiver position if Sammy Watkins is gone next year? Um, preferably Allen Robinson if the Chicago Bears aren't going to use him because he's very unhappy and he would be a 
perfect fit in the Chiefs offense in the Sammy Watkins role there. But I, I've maintained throughout, you know, most of this offseason that if Sammy Watkins has another good year, they might just keep him again. Uh, they may just try and push this down the road year to year with Sammy, you know, as long as he stays healthy, as long as he's on the field, he's a valuable asset to this Chiefs team. And we've seen kind of what that is throughout the course of the past two years. So I think it'll still be Sammy, but Allen Robinson, if they can get him. If we're looking at the current Chiefs roster or depth chart, like everybody on it right now, even if you want to include Demarcus Robinson, say they brought him back again, my choice would still be Byron Pringle. I think anytime you see Sammy Watkins, anytime you see Sammy Watkins miss time, who gets those exact reps though? It's always Byron Pringle. We saw it this week when Watkins was out. They put Pringle in for the crackback block on Joey Bosa late in the game. Last year against the Colts when Watkins was out, who was the only guy that, one, took all of Sammy's reps, but kind of the only wide receiver that could carry the torch at the time, it was Pringle. I'm here for Byron Pringle getting more reps, always will be until he's no longer on the Chiefs. I think he can do it. More likely, I think the Chiefs draft somebody. Maybe they spend in free agency a little bit, but I think most likely they're going to draft someone. And I'm really interested to see if they chase the Sammy Watkins, Chris Conley type, a little bit bigger guy that still has plenty of speed to beat someone deep if he has to, but just a little bit bigger guy works over the middle of the field a little bit better. Or if they really are dedicated to this whole Legion of Zoom thing, only want fast players. Because I think a guy like Tylen Wallace He's a little bit smaller, but I think he could work as an X receiver in the, you know, for the NFL. You just have to put him in the right offense. You can't ask him to be a red zone threat, even though he's good at contested catches. You could see a smaller wide receiver like him play the X for the Chiefs. It'll just be interesting to see which way they go. But I do expect an addition coming to the Chiefs at the wide receiver position before next year. I think I have receipts before his blow up game. Uh, I know I have receipts during his blow up game. Future X receiver Corey Davis. For the Kansas City Chiefs, I think he he if he keeps playing the way he's gonna play, he's gonna price himself out of Kansas City. But I looked at him as like a perfect I don't want to call him a reclamation project, but just a guy. I mean he had two thousand he has two thousand and four career receiving yards. And it's kind of been an underwhelming career to this point. He played really well in week one. I could see him as a potential reclamation project. It just depends on the price and if he prices himself out this year. But I think as an X receiver, he makes a lot of sense. I was a big fan of his coming out. Not top five pick fan, but I liked him. Um, I, I would love to see that she's, you know, if, if, if Sammy Watkins isn't back or something like that, I'd, I'd like to see how much it would cost to get Corey Davis here in the building. Boo Baloo Bye asks it seemed the Texans play deep and conservative to prevent the big plays uh will we see more of this this year and if so what are some of the ways that we can bypass the deep coverage and still push the ball down the field obviously we have a larger sample size now with the Chargers game but let's answer it anyway I mean, the Chargers did the same thing. Now, the Chargers have historically done this to Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs anyway, so it was no surprise. But yeah, I imagine most teams will keep doing this. They did last year as the season went on. So you're going to keep getting more deep coverage. You're going to have teams forcing the Chiefs to throw underneath. And I think the bigger issue is the Chiefs are going to have to let the deep plays go a little bit. I think for the first half, maybe even plus some against the Chargers, they weren't willing to take short, quick stuff. They were still looking to hit the intermediate and deep areas, and they just didn't have time in the pocket. It looked like their quick game wasn't particularly well designed. All of their quick game was essentially little hitch routes, which wasn't leaving a ton of space for yards after the catch. Andy Reid can design an 
excellent quick game passing offense. He did it with Alex Smith here in the Chiefs. He did it at times with the Eagles. It just doesn't seem like they're leaning on that very much right now. And I think they're going to have to. They're going to have to dial back in some of the more base level West Coast principles that Andy Reid's used in the past. If teams are going to keep giving so much space underneath, the Chiefs are going to have to hit those plays on the time and let their athletes do more in the open field than they were willing to do against the Chargers at the least. I think the Chiefs run game really helped with the Texans and they just didn't lean on it against the Chargers. Yeah, and if they do want to attack downfield, they got to get better protection. Um, I think we've seen against the Texans, J.J. Watt, uh, you know, they, they Charles Minahue, they have a couple guys on that defensive line that are a little bit dangerous as pass rushers. Obviously, the Chargers have some incredibly dangerous weapons on the defensive line there as well. Coming up here, the, the you know, the Ravens are going to blitz the crap out of them. And then you've got the Patriots, who are probably going to come up with some creative pressures. I think it's going to be several weeks before we start to see maybe some teams that don't have the horses to try and force the ball out of Patrick Mahomes' hands quickly. We've seen throughout the course of this year, Mahomes is top six. He's number six in time to throw per next-gen stats in the entire NFL. That is ridiculous to think about when you think about Patrick Mahomes' game, the ability to extend plays, the ability to hit with deep strikes that take a long time to develop. He shouldn't be that fast, but he's having to be because of the types of defense that they're playing and what the defenses are allowing so far. Uh, I think you saw the biggest play of the season came out of structure on the play. Well, I mean, it wasn't entirely it wasn't entirely to structure. It was just... Uh, it was a little bit uncommon for how they operate. This sprint out. It was a play action sprint out. Uh, it was out of the pocket. It was moving the pocket. So they do have some concerns about their protection. Uh, they basically ran Wasp and moved the pocket is essentially what they did on that big play to Tyreek. And it worked. They're two for two on that one uh, the last two times that they've played. It's, it's worth noting that Tyreek said in his presser, that Patrick overthrew him because he had to lean forward a little bit to catch that one. Did you guys see the stats on that? Was 34% expected completion on that play? I don't even think 34% of quarterbacks would attempt the throw. Less than half of that could even remotely make it. Like, that was the wildest one of those I've seen in a while, was that that had an expected completion percentage of 34%. Yeah, that's a, that's stupid. That's just a that's a that the data does not compute. Like 404 404 error. 404 error there. Uh do you know who wouldn't have completed that pass? Kirk Cousins cuz he can't complete any pass because he stinks and he's always stunk. And I will continue to ride that train. But yeah, no, they moved the pocket. They had to move the pocket to kind of generate that big play. It wasn't out of structure. It was out of the it was out of the pocket, and it was out of the norm of what they typically do. Uh, I liked the design, but they're having to get creative to figure out. You know, like the Chiefs are top five in pressures allowed. It's rough. Like that's going to be a problem, and it's going to continue to be a problem. And the Baltimore Ravens, I don't see it getting any better this week. Let's just say that. Uh, AP Nerd Squad at gmail.com. You can reach out to us there with uh, if you want to email your questions, if you haven't left a five-star review, if you're on, on Twitter. Uh, go ahead and just hit us up there. Derek J. asks, obviously looking at the offensive line, it seems they are struggling. 
seems like we never have an extra blocker in with either a running back or a tight end to maximize the targets for Patrick Mahomes. Question, if there are any good stats to show that we're better off sending five out versus four. I don't know if there's uh, – there, there might be some good stats out there. Um, I can tell you the logic behind, you know, sending five out instead of four. Uh, first off, Patrick Mahomes is really deadly out of empty. Um, that's a place that he's ex- extremely comfortable. That's a place that kind of hit the ground running in the National Football League because of his level of comfort. There is a lot of value to having five guys out of the backfield or just sending, I mean, even just sending five, you know, the back getting out of the backfield from the backfield, there's still value in that. But um, Mahomes, with his ability to create, I think I'm fine with them not trying to max protect or, or go fight, you know, leave, you send four out. I'm completely content with them not doing that. I understand the concern. I think you've got to make sure you chipping chipping guys out of the backfield. Your running backs need to be chipping. I think that's something that you can make a you know a, a fair statement about. Let Clyde Edwards-Alaire chip, get him out in the flat. Let Pat work down to him if he needs it. Um, but I don't really have a problem with them sending five out because I think that maximizes the opportunities for Mahomes and he's the, his ability to create. I also don't have a stat on it, but when you're getting beat by just four rushers, as often as the Chiefs kind of seem to be these first two weeks, I don't know if having an extra tight end or back in there helps as much. A lot of times you're going to see them end up chipping a rusher, and sometimes that pushes the defender back away from where the offensive lineman's trying to take them. I mean, you can see a sack like that every couple of weeks where a running back or a tight end chips an edge rusher and it actually messes up an offensive tackle. So, like, I get the concept of not trying to do it between that. The Chiefs historically have not given their offensive tackles hardly any help since Andy Heck's been here. That goes back to the Alex Smith. They like to leave their tackles one-on-one on the islands. And I don't think the interior pass protection was the issue this week. It was just the combination of the Chargers' great defensive ends, Patrick Mahomes dropping very deep, and the offensive tackles not playing their best. I always think that having five guys out in a route is better when you have a quarterback that can is not only mobile in the pocket and has a very good pocket awareness, but just has the arm talent that Patrick Mahomes does. I think you want to put as many players out on the field for him to throw to as possible. I do think you need to, going back to the last question, utilize the quick game a little bit more. Be more decisive. Patrick Mahomes needs to get the ball out quicker on some of these plays that are designed to get the ball out quick. There's a couple plays. I think Kent and I talked about it. It's from... In the middle of the game, roughly, there's kind of a hitch-flat combination between Sammy Watkins and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Pat doesn't throw to either one because the curl's taken out, the flat's open. It's not going to be a huge gain, but it's open, and if the ball gets out there, you pick up positive yards. Pat kind of holds the ball, starts looking through other reads. Nothing ends up being there, but the flat read was open. That ball has to come out, I think, when you're having this much trouble in protection. That's on Pat or the design of the play if it was designed to look off somebody else. But like that ball has to come out. They need to be better about that going forward. And I think that'll help the blocking, allowing you to send five guys out more often. And real quick, from a defensive standpoint, when you start leaving that extra running back or that extra tight end in, the defense just starts green-dogging. Then you have linebackers that are coming and blitzing off of some of these other rushers. It, you, know, you leave them in, you get extra rushers anyway. So it's not a situation where you're getting you know, necessarily a six-on-four matchup. You're, you're seeing extra rushers still. Derek E. 
asks, how important is Mike Pinnell moving forward? It also looked like this defense missed Alex Okafor big time against the Chargers. This defense did miss Alex Okafor a little bit after Frank Clark went out, but Taco Charlton was pretty good. Um, I, I think we may have a Taco Charlton question later, so I'll leave that there. Uh, but Mike Pinnell is very important. We saw the Chiefs spelling Derek Noddy with Tershawn Wharton. Tershawn Wharton is about 280 pounds. Uh, that's not huge for Steve Spagnuolo's typical nose tackle. And Tershawn Wharton ended up playing about 75% of his snaps as a nose tackle this week. That is a little bit rough. That's a big ask for him at that weight in his play style to try and be that type of player. Mike Pinnell is that type of player. Bigger, two-gapping kind of guy, not a penetrator. I think we will see the defensive line look a lot better with a guy like that that can spell Derek Naughty. Let's jump ahead to the Twitter questions now. We had a lot of them, and some had very similar themes. Try to clump those together. So there was some I mean, great questions and some... Some questions kind of got asked three or four times. Thank you all for your questions. Sorry we can't answer every single person's. Vitamin J, we'll start off with a joke. Name a more iconic duo than Andy Reid and dominating the AFC West. It's not all bad right now. Andy Reid just continues to shred his division, and that's the reason this team's always going to be the places that they are. Uh, Steve- Kent Swanson slandering Kirk Cousins out of the blue. Better duo. Named. <laughs> hey, I love just a random... Just a Kirk drop from here, from now, every now and then. It feels good, especially when my man was like, it would have been better if he just spiked the ball every time. Uh, he was terra bad. Steve Gray Jr., why do the Chiefs, or why does the Chiefs offense seem to struggle early in games dating back to last year, especially since they were quite effective with opening drives in 2018? I think teams figured out a little bit of what the Chiefs are trying to do. I don't think they've, clearly they have not figured out the Chiefs offense, but teams have a general idea of what Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes want to do as an offense right now. And teams come out the gate with a pretty good plan to stop it going into every game. I think Andy Reid's a great offensive mind, one of the best play designers, play callers, so on and so forth in the NFL. I think he also goes into a lot of games with a general game plan of what this is what we do. This is how we play offense, and we're really good at it, so we are going to do that to beat you. And when you get a quality defensive coach, especially with a talented team like the Chargers had and some other teams that game plan specifically to stop that, you're going to see some struggles. And I think as games go on, you see Andy Reid make adjustments to attack the specific defense, but I think he enters a lot of games just running to run his offense, regardless of who's on the other side of the field, regardless of what kind of defense they're going to play. I just think you have defenses going out of their way to change what they do to attack the Chiefs offense. And you see the Chiefs are a second quarter team, second half team, whatever you want to call it for the most part. As they get the reps in, they see what a defense is doing. You start to see Andy adjust a little bit. But those scripted plays everybody talks about, and even beyond that, I think he really likes to do what Andy wants to do in the perfect world. And when it doesn't work, it creates slow starts sometimes. Yeah, that first 15, Andy's going to live and die by that first 15. If it works, awesome. We're all praising him. If it doesn't, that's when you put the ball in Patrick Mahomes' hand in the second quarter with some adjustments, and they hang 28 points on the Raiders. That's just what happens. So I, I do think that Andy maybe isn't quite as worried about how his team starts. You know, Certainly with Alex Smith, they needed to get the lead. 
they needed a defense to be able to protect a lead. You know, that was kind of the situation. Now it feels a little more like maybe he's putting stuff on tape. Maybe he's putting some stuff out there to try and get the defense to play a certain way so he can take advantage of it, you know, later. You know, sequential play calling, setting stuff up for, you know, future stuff. Maybe that's the case. And maybe that's just all we're seeing because, I mean, he knows he's got Mahomes and he knows they can make the adjustments and win the game after he sets all this stuff up. I don't think it's just scheme. I think it's personnel too. Like, I think there's some consistent trends with what this team does. Uh, you, you see some of these guys, you know, drops, mental errors, just real. I mean, I think there's some slow starts recently and it's partially personnel and execution. Um, I, I don't want to just completely say it scheme. I think there are some, um, tendencies, you know, with some drops to Marcus Robinson, uh, other guys, mental errors that that kind of happen early in the game and they settle in and they start rolling and then they're the best team in the world and they're just absolute world beaters and russell 2018 please convince me that the chiefs will play get better against the ravens i wish i could i mean i i if they come out the way that they did against the chargers i i can't i can't really commit to anything there the tackling has to be better the game plan on both sides of the ball has to be better and you know just overall execution like kent was saying there you got drops you got situations where they're just missing guys that are open they've got guys that are missing tackles guys that are blowing coverages you just can't have that happen the chiefs were able to get away with it because anthony lynn was too cowardly to go for it on fourth and one with his rookie quarterback that was frankly good but i I don't think that that situation is going to be the case against Lamar Jackson, against the Baltimore Ravens. That's a very good, a well-coached team. We're going to see the Chiefs get the best shot that they have of any team so far yet this season. And if they come out and they play sloppy, it's going to get ugly early. It's just they've got to focus. That's all it is. So I, I don't know that I can convince you in Russell. I just don't know that I can. So for me, I think that we, I just talked about kind of how Andy does whatever he wants to do going into a game and he adjusts if he has to. I think there's an exception one or two times a year. It almost always happens with the Patriots and Bill Belichick. And I think that's why Andy Reid has constantly had success against the Patriots defense because I do think he goes out of his way to specifically attack them. There's other big matchups or obviously when the playoffs come around where he will change things up and be a little bit more team specific. I think this is going to be one of those weeks. I think the Chiefs were purposely a little bland in terms of not trying to show too much against the Chargers to start because they do know they have some big matchups on the horizon. I, Andy Reid, as much as we don't like to think he's a guy that leaves stuff on the table, he absolutely does. I think you see the offense come out with a lot better game plan this week. I think they are going to have things specifically targeted to beat the Ravens and not just be running their normal quote-unquote offense. On top of that... I don't know if the Ravens are going to really play the style of defense, this kind of cover three Seattle style defense that gives the Chiefs the most trouble. That's not in their MO to just play this same base bland coverage over and over. They like to blitz. They have a lot of young guys playing safety and linebacker right now. You try that just that bland coverage. I think you see the Chiefs attack Deshaun Elliott, Patrick Queen, whoever else they're running out there at linebacker. I think LJ Fort or somebody's playing. Like the middle of that defense is open to being attacked. Their pass rush is really only dominant when they get a blitz, guys, and I don't think that's how you beat Patrick Mahomes. I do think the offense is going to come out and show up a lot better this week. 
Yeah, I think it's a lot of the things these guys just mentioned. I think Andy does understand the gravity of this game because this is potentially for the one seed. If you win this football game, you have a essentially a one-game lead on the Baltimore Ravens for the one seed. The one seed is critical now. It's the only team that gets a bye in the playoffs. I do 100% agree. I think you're getting an A-plus game script. But also, we know what this team is made of. They, they, they called it run it back for a reason. This is the world champions that you're talking about whose ceiling is literally the best team in the world. I think they had a rough game last week, and it's the perfect time for a team that we know what they're capable of to look and go, okay, we played terrible. This won't fly next week. We know this. I mean, they know the gravity of the situation this week. They know. They know what this game means. This isn't one of 16. It's bigger than that. They know it. They're, you're going to get the best, whatever week three, whatever the week three version of the Chiefs best, you are absolutely getting it. And it's going to be a fun game to watch, and the Chiefs are going to win, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, Doyle asks, would you rather see Ben Neiman or Dorian O'Daniel on the field? This is a tough question because I like Dorian O'Daniel better from a traits perspective, but what we've seen on the field has been incredibly limited and it just doesn't seem like he's fully grasped the NFL, just how to play in the NFL yet. He's been used in a one specific role and he's probably better at that one specific role than anything Ben Demon's done on defense, but can he do anything but spy an athletic quarterback? I simply don't know. So I think I have to learn towards Ben Neiman because at the absolute worst, he's a speed bump as he misses a tackle, whereas I'm not sure Dwayne O'Daniel's always going to even be in position to be a speed bump. Ben Neiman might have been the worst player for the Chiefs defense on Sunday. I don't know that there's a might have been to that. I think he was the worst player for the Chiefs defense. He missed a lot of tackles. He couldn't get to the catch point. He just he was a problem that the Chiefs had to overcome to win that game. I would rather see Ben Neiman on the field. Dorian O'Daniel got one Will linebacker snap this week, you guys. After Anthony Hitchens got hurt, after Damian Wilson was sitting on the sidelines, you got to see a linebacking core of Willie Gay Jr. at the Sam, Ben Neiman at the Mike, Dorian O'Daniel at the Will. It was a situation where they stepped Dorian O'Daniel up to the B-gap, had him mugging the gap, and he promptly got pancaked by a guard. <laughs> Immediately, the running back cut back into the lane to avoid a Chris Jones penetration, cut back into the lane that Chris Jones and Dorian O'Daniel were standing in, and it went for nine yards. Dorian O'Daniel got pulled off the field. They didn't trot him back out on defense again, other than you know his dime spy role. So I just don't think that he's got enough, you know, heft to play the way that Spagnuolo wants him to. I don't know that he knows the scheme well enough to play the way that Spagnuolo wants him to. So I just by the sheer virtue of those two things, I have to go with Ben Neiman. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. 
Questions including what are we missing when we work remotely or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a PropG Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropG Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, continuing to answer your questions on Twitter, Andrew Nagel2 asks, maybe I missed something, but Chris Jones seemed to me to play awful. He was pushed out of run plays and was not very effective on pass plays. It seemed like every time they showed him, he was just standing there with his hands on his hips. Chris Jones had to play a lot of snaps. Chris Jones typically isn't built to play the number of snaps that he did, especially against the run. The Chiefs don't like to use him that often against the run. He's an excellent pass rusher. Justin Herbert and the Chargers were getting the ball out quickly. Justin Herbert this week was sixth fastest in the entire NFL in time to throw. And it was a two-second, 2.08 timed second that I timed myself for the first half. That is how you tire out a defense. Quick strike passes. Chris Jones wasn't able to get home because, frankly, getting home in two seconds is ridiculously difficult. He did have some good pressures. I felt he was fine. As a pass rusher, I felt he was just as fine as anybody else as a pass rusher. But yes, he was bad against the run. This is what we talked about all offseason long. He's ending up swimming over a guard in the wrong gap. They sh- the broadcast even highlighted it once with him with his back to the play, going the other direction, trying to shoot another gap and leaving it wide open for a big gain. These are the things that you live with with Chris Jones because he is an elite pass rusher. But yeah, he is a poor run defender, despite what some people would have you believe. You kind of got to see what that was this week. That's what we've been talking about all offseason. And it was the, the run defense was the same thing versus Houston. Like I know there was the ESPN advanced stats about run beat block beat percentage or whatever it is that said Aaron Donald was an average player came out and said Chris Jones was top 10 in week one and like I even posted every single run play that he was on the field for and I just I don't see how anybody came to the conclusion that there was more to two to three run block wins by him that affected the play it was probably even less versus the Chargers he's very aggressive he likes to crash through gaps. It doesn't matter if it's the front side, the back side, his gap, not his gap. If he sees an open gap, he's trying to take it. And the Chargers used it against him, especially when Wharton was on the field with them. The Chargers, I feel like, were very specifically calling mid-zone, split-zone, trying to hit the hard cut back to the back side because they know both defensive tackles are trying to shoot a gap. Neither one of them are trying to play through a blocker. Neither one of them are really trying to hold the gap. They are trying to get upfield and penetrate. Wharton and Jones were, and they gave up a lot of hard cutbacks to Eckler, to Josh Kelly, and it just wasn't good because the Chiefs don't really have the linebackers to make up for that. It's the give or take that comes to Chris Jones. If you want his one to two tackles for loss every game or big disruption plays against the run, 
they're going to come with a lot of bad plays. And when he doesn't hit that tackle for loss because he misses the tackle or the running back makes a miss, it ends up looking like it did against the Chargers, which was simply not good. And as a pass rusher, I'm with Craig. I don't think he was bad by any means. I thought he was pretty good. He maybe wasn't as dominant as he was versus Houston, but I also think he was really missing Frank Clark. We mentioned a little bit earlier, Craig did, that we have a Taco Charlton question coming later. So I'm going to kind of hint at that a little bit too for when we get there. I think the Chiefs, after they lost Frank Clark, were missing a dynamic pass rusher off the edge, and Charlton kind of filled the role, but besides that, there wasn't a lot of pressure to help take the F, the uh, impact off Chris Jones. Nobody was out there helping him as a pass rusher consistently, and I think that really played a part. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not going to... So I, I want to give Chris Jones some credit here, too, because I he did play, I, I think it was... 90 or over 90% of the snaps, which is nuts. The guy was out there at a ridiculous clip, and he deserves a ton of credit for that. Um, The issues in the run game have been there this entire time. The splash plays get showed on Twitter, but that's not the play-to-play reality. And that's, I mean, you take the good with the bad. The Chiefs just paid him $20 million a year. So clearly, they value the what what he's great at he's not great as a run defender he makes splash plays but you're maddie's right they were they were going after him and there's a reason that they were picking on chris jones in the run game airs ocean asks at some point casey's slow starts are gonna uh gonna bite him is baltimore going to be able to capitalize if it was gonna bite them that bad i think it would have been versus houston or tennessee last year in the playoffs I mean, yes, it could bite them versus Baltimore. I just don't think that the Chiefs getting down by 10 points, 14 points, 21 points is a death sentence for them like it is a lot of other teams. So I don't think it's going to hurt them this week. I'm not saying it's a guarantee they're going to win the game. I just don't think there's any game that if the Chiefs fall behind early because of a slow start that you can just kind of think that they're going to be out of it. Yeah, at no point do you really ever count Patrick Mahomes out of a game. So you you can't really say that them starting slow is going to doom them at any point. Yeah, they they might end up losing a game because of some missed opportunities early, letting a bad team hang around. You know, we've seen that, you know, against the Titans in the regular season last year. They let a bad team hang around for four whole quarters and then Dave Tobe and the special teams unit blew it a little bit there at the end. I think though that Andy and Mahomes are just so good at adjusting, and Spagnolo is as well. I think you just see a team that's much better closing out games, and that's what we've seen for the past two years. Tamindus79, do you think Mahomes is trying to fix drifting too far back in the pocket issue? If so, how long do you think before that stops being a liability? Here's the thing. This is not new, and this has been fixed before. There are been stretches and I think we talked about this on the post game show there are stretches in Mahomes career where he is more consistently uh you know operating with a you know a, a good drop uh and and operating well in the pocket and then there's times where it goes by the wayside um I think you're always going to have a little bit of this drifting in the pocket because it's a little bit of him trying to buy time kind of like he did with uh with uh with Wasp but Mahomes always comes back to the basics for large stretches of the season. It feels like it happens early in the year, then they fix it, and then there's times it, it you know it, he'll fall by the wayside, but he's more consistent with it. 
But I think people understand, you know, all these protection calls, they are three-step, five-step, seven-step, nine-step drops. They're structured that these these O-linemen need to understand the landmarks and know the landmarks. So when those landmarks aren't met, it makes these guys look really bad. And sometimes Mahomes does not operate within the, within those landmarks. And that's what people are talking about when, you know, it's not always, it's not Mitchell Schwartz's fault all the time, although he's not been particularly good. Uh, and I think we'll get there at this point. Um, but that's where, that's where that happens is it's just, there's inconsistencies based on the protection call. Some of these guys feel like they, like Mitch Schwartz knows where Pat's supposed to be and he's operating with that in mind. And I would just echo everything Kent said, and I just want to add, I think the Chargers are probably the team most to threaten the Chiefs in that regard, like to take advantage of Mahomes' drifting issue, not only because they have Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, but they play the Chiefs a lot. They very much know the tendency. You can watch their rush angles. They're not trying to win at eight yards. They're not trying to win at nine yards with a nice arc so they can cut around the tackle and come behind the quarterback in the pocket. They're taking pretty stark, pretty straight angles to 10, 11 yards deep because Mahomes ends up there a lot. It's just good film study, good game plan, and it helped them out a lot in this game. It's like, I don't think as many teams are, from a game plan perspective or talent perspective, going to be able to affect the Chiefs as much as the Chargers did. But like Kent said, it comes up one or two times every single year, and then it gets better for a stretch. I think you will see it start to get better again for a while. Maybe around week 13, we have the same conversation again. Lay Tony 44, how did Taco Charlton play this past weekend? There's your chance to talk about Taco, Maddie. We've, we hinted at this twice now. I think Taco Charlton played pretty darn well, especially as a pass rusher. Once Frank Clark went out, the Chiefs lacked a dynamic element off the edge. They're just... Mike Dane has played very well for his draft selection, but he's not a very dynamic player. Tano Pass, you know, for as freaky as he is looking in terms of his size and build and for his athletic testing, he does not play the game in a dynamic way. Both those guys are a little bit more technique, a little bit more strength. None of them provide any kind of quick twitch pass rushing ability. Taco Charlton does, and you saw him beat Sam Tevy. I think he beat Trey Pitkins on the other side once. He had a couple pressures. He had good pass rush moves. He's by far the best pass rusher with his hands once Clark was out there off the edge. Like he was very useful without having Alex Okafor, without having Frank Clark, of just providing a little bit of ability to win quickly off the edge that nobody else was going to provide for the team. I think it's crazy that Taco Charlton was inactive for a game this week when you just look at how good he was at rushing the passer. And I get it, maybe he's not as far into the playbook as some of these other guys. They like other guys versus the run or their versatility more. But just from a pure pass rushing perspective, like I think he needs to be active more often because he's the only guy besides Clark that's just providing kind of that quick twitch off the edge. And that's how they used him. That's how they used him this week. It was when they would kick down into their dime defenses or if it was an obvious, you know, third down passing situation, Taco Charlton would come in over Mike Dana. This was not a situation. Mike Dana got a bunch of base defensive end reps. Taco Charlton didn't get a ton of them. Uh, He got some, but not a ton. Taco Charlton against the pass had a 25% pressure rate on the day. That is outrageous. Alex Okafor the week before in limited reps had a 37.5% pressure rate. These are guys that if they are healthy, 
if the Chiefs can get both of them into the rotation and keep them on the active roster on game day, this is what we'll see. We'll get to see Clark. We'll get to see a combination of Okafor and Charlton, Chris Jones, and Tano Pasigno on the inside. I feel like that is a very, very effective pass rush. And through two weeks, Okafor and Taco Charlton have looked very, very good. Just need to get more time on the field. Yeah, and Okafor needs to get healthy. Yeah. Which has been a question mark for his career. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I hope. I hope. Yeah, because I, I echo Craig's sentiment. He looked good. Uh, in week one, Casey Fun asks, "Is it too early to give Brendan Daly mad props for pounding the table for Mike Dana in the fifth round in the draft?" Absolutely not. Mike Dana being able to be on an NFL field and not look out of place is a huge win for anybody involved in drafting him. The fact that he's even made some plays, like Brendan Daly, absolutely had a huge part to do with getting this pick. So you have to give him an incredible amount of props. I do want to say I think I'm a little bit less excited from what we've seen about Mike Dana than a lot of other people right now because I do think that a lot of his big plays have been when unblocked or have been longer later in plays. Like He's made good plays. He belongs on an NFL field. I'm not saying anything along those lines. I just think that he lacks dynamic athleticism for the edge position. He's not very fluid, and he's not very explosive, and it's really hard to make plays when you're actually being blocked in that regard. So I do think the Chiefs really missed having Okafor and Clark first to run when Mike Daniel was in there, and especially as a pass rusher, he's still coming along. He's still growing. So I'm not saying there's not a higher ceiling here. I just think that he's getting a lot of hype right now. And I think he's playing solid, but not as great as it kind of seems like the hype for him is getting up to at this point in time. One of his pressures came on the Chargers touchdown that threw to Fenton's side of the field, the 14 yard touchdown. Mike Dana had a pressure on a long arm and you got to see that his arm length just isn't quite there. He wasn't able to keep the tackle off of him cleanly enough to where he was ever going to be able to make that turn and really trouble Justin Herbert. And when you watch that play, you can see the difference between him doing it and some of these bigger, better pass rushers doing it. Mike Dana wins with football IQ. That's what we've said all along, and he's doing it at a high level already. There are reasons to be excited about getting this out of a fifth-round pick. I mean, look at the fifth-round picks that they've had recently. This is outstanding. Mike Dana belongs on the active roster, belongs on the field, and Brendan Daly deserves a lot of props for finding him in the draft. Daquan Menzi was a fifth-round pick. I mean, come on. I think there's value in what Mike Dana provides. Uh it's not going to be elite athleticism, but a guy that operates with a high IQ that will be where he's supposed to be, that does his job, there's value in that. And I think that's why Brennan Daly likes him. Is I mean, he comes from the Patriots. The Patriots, that's their mantra is just do your job, mm-hmm. you know? So I think that's where that, you know, I, I think that's where Daly, I think that's what Daly likes about him, frankly. Max Arquilla asks, do you think the Chiefs should bench Juan Thornhill with how bad he has played lately or keep riding it out with him to break off the rust? Nah, nah. Ride it, ride it out with him. I I do. I did say in the postgame that I thought that Tedrick Thompson looked a lot better, that he just continues to make little plays here and there. I, I definitely agree with that. But Juan Thornhill, as he comes into the game, as he gets himself in better shape, I mean, this is what it looks like with the player coming off of injury. 
if he can regain that, he is a superstar level safety back there next to Tyron Matthew. And if you bench Juan Thornhill, you're going to be seeing more Dan Sorensen in those high looks. I don't think that that's necessarily the best thing. I don't think that you're going to see a market improvement if that happens. So leave one on the field. I know Dan Sorensen was like a cult hero during the Super Bowl run, but can we talk about how bad of a tackler he's been? Like, are we allowed to talk about that yet? Because he's been pretty rough. Uh, I'm just, just quick sidebar. Uh, Tex-Mex guy asks, uh, was the close game due to a good Chargers team, Justin Herbert over Tyrod Taylor at the last second, conservative Andy Reid, overconfident Chiefs? What was it? I guess of those options, I'm going to lean towards overconfident Chiefs, but not from the fact that they thought they were just going to walk over the Chargers, but from the fact that the offense especially thought they could just walk on the field and do what they always do, and it would be successful. And I think they go into every game thinking that, just as I talked about, Chargers specifically plan to stop the Chiefs' offense. The Chiefs' offense just said, no, we're going to run our offense until it was clear they couldn't do that. It's like, I think that falls into overconfidence, but it's not the way I think that you're trying to apply with the question. Yeah, uh, and it better not be because Andy will come after you, as we saw in the pressers this week. I, I I do think that Herbert, as a late addition, adjusted some of the play calling adjusted some of the things that Steve Spagnuolo was expecting. Tyrod Taylor holds the ball. They were going to do longer passing con- you know, uh, concepts. Steve Spagnuolo was ready for those, and you got to see him really have to make adjustments because Justin Herbert came out, and it was quick, and he was getting the ball out fast. And so in that regard, I, I do think that that threw him for a big loop, but I, I do think this Chargers team with Justin Herbert is pretty good. Adam J. Hardig asks, Darwin Thompson looked pretty good replacing Daryl Williams. Should he stay in the backup role moving forward? I don't think so. I think the what you get with Daryl Williams is a guy that Patrick Mahomes trusts not only as a receiver to be in the right spot, to run the right routes, and to be ready for the ball, but a guy that Chiefs clearly trust in pass protection. I can't say any of those things about Darwin Thompson. Well, I think he's in a more electric player, a more dynamic runner with the ball, both after the catch or getting a handoff. I don't think he does what makes Daryl Williams worth having on the team and playing. That said, I wouldn't mind seeing their reps split a little bit more. I don't need Daryl Williams completely out, and I don't even need Darwin to get 50% of those reps when Williams, when Daryl Williams is healthy. But seeing a little bit more of a 70-30-60-40 split out of that backup spot, I'm fine with because I do think Darwin Thompson is a good player with the ball in his hands. You just got to get it to him and have him be in the right spot. A few more tendencies you have with your backfield too if you're adding a third guy into the mix. Like There really wasn't a ton of tendency to what the Chiefs were doing except for Darwin Tom- or D- Daryl Williams is going to be in on third down and Clyde Edwards-Weller is going to be on first and second down. Like That was essentially what it was. Uh, Kyle K asks, given McColl's two big plays on Sunday and getting more snaps than Demarcus Robinson, has your confidence in him increased or stayed the same? Uh, first off, credit where credit is due for a couple big plays. I don't know how he saw that football, uh, on the two point conversion and Hey, a nice little 22 year old yard catch. I think those plays maybe have everybody forgetting the Two two of the worst plays of the entire game falling on his shoulders, and one of them being 
just a complete lack of awareness in not touching a guy that intercepted the ball and just standing there and watching it. That is, you have no, I'm trying not to be too animated right now because I don't want to look like I'm just, we're just dunking on McCole Hardman all the time, but that is embarrassingly bad. That is unacceptable. And that is probably a microcosm of why he hasn't been trusted entirely. I mean, one of the things that we've heard, the theme for McCole, run. McCole, run. Keep running, McCole. You never know when the play is dead with Patrick Mahomes, McCole. Keep running, McCole. Like, there's this this mentality there, and it, 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 he doesn't, it doesn't always just click, I don't think, with him because he doesn't have the presence of mind to touch the guy that just intercepted the pass in a game where they're playing terrible and then trailing. He doesn't think to do that. That is a microcosm for why McCole Hardman is having the issues he's doing. And then a really, really bad drop to follow that up. I don't have trust in him. I still don't have trust in him. And even this week with an increase in snaps, it was one catch out of, it was one manufactured touch and one catch and one really stupid mistake and one drop. I do think that uh, Andy reamed him about uh, the not touching the man on the interception. He even brought it up in his presser after the game. So, I mean, it is a situation that it bothers Andy. It's not just <laughs> Kent getting animated here. I guarantee you Eric Bieniemy chewed on oh my. him on the sidelines there for that. That is a situation he's just got to learn. And I think that's what you're seeing that's keeping him off the field. Yes, kudos to him coming up with the two-point play. Kudos to him for the 22-yard catch. Do it again. You need to do it routinely. You need to do the little things routinely. You need to execute consistently. And not doing those sorts of things is not going to get you on the field. Yes, Demarcus Robinson drops a lot of passes. He costs this team a lot of yardage. We don't want him on the field either. <laughs> I mean, we, we, <laughs> we want, want McCall to be on the field. Yeah, we want McCall to be on the field and doing those things that keep him on the field. So I, I just... He's got to do it again for me to have my confidence go up in him because we saw this a little bit, these splash plays a little bit last year. It just has to be consistent. He played 65 snaps and came away with 32 yards and the two-point conversion, which is a fantastic play. And I'll always say this, for as little experience as McCole Hardman has playing wide receiver and for as unrefined as he is in just about every possible way, he has incredibly strong hands that he attacks the ball very well with. So seeing him make that great catch in the two-point conversion or his other catch, not super surprising. That said, I still don't trust that he's going to run more than three or four different routes. I still don't trust him to beat press coverage. I think you have to manufacture a play for him or catch him at the end of a broken play. And that kind of seems like where his touches are coming on a broken play or manufactured from the get-go. 32 yards on 65 snaps isn't a great return on investment. I know it's better than what you're getting out of Demarcus Robinson, especially because you're removing quite as many drops. But it's just, you're still not getting a lot out of it. That's still a lot of snaps that are, aren't having a lot of production come from it. I think McCole Hardman would continue to give you a lot of games like this. And then you'll have a game where he blows out a big play because he has that kind of athleticism and dynamic ability. It's just the lack of consistency and then doing the little things that Demarcus Robinson will do that makes it really hard to just give him consistent snaps at this rate. Early, obviously, but two games in, you're pacing for a regression right now from McCole Hardman, by the way, from a production standpoint. 
significant. Uh, so by the end of this season, he's halfway through his rookie contract. Casual Pablo asks from the rookies who have seen playing time, which player looks more promising in the long run? Thanks. Love the podcast. I mean, I think the obvious answer is Clyde. Clyde looks like a very good running back already. So I, I it's hard to overlook him, but I really have enjoyed what I've seen with Legereus Sneed. I know Maddie's got an article coming out on Sneed. It's he once again against good receivers looked the part and they trusted him. They trusted him to follow Keenan Allen in the slots sometimes, not not a true follow all over the field or anything like that, but they did trust him and he came up with a great play. That interception coming backside is a great play, especially for a rookie that did not play corner last year. He's obviously picking things up quickly. He's learning on the fly. I think we're seeing Sam Madison is really paying dividends on this team, you guys, and Legereus Sneed is the beneficiary of all of this. I think we're going to see a good cornerback out of Legereus Sneed when it's all said and done here. Berkham6 asks, is it possible Mitchell Schwartz got old over the offseason and now we're seeing a huge decline? I think Mitch started last season a little slow and he picked it up as the year went on. I think not having a preseason to work into it maybe plays a role, but I do I do think Mitchell Schwartz's body is beat up. I think he's dealt with a lot more injuries than we know about, just even though he had that long streak of starting games. I don't think he's a hundred I don't think he's a hundred percent of or what he would call a hundred percent ever. And I think to start the season he always starts a little bit slower. So I expect him to get better, but I don't think that Mitchell Schwartz is going to be playing at his all-pro best offensive tackle in the NFL self a whole lot longer if he even returns to that this year. I think this would be the last year that you get that level of play out of him because it just it looks like he's laboring to move a little bit more, and it has for two years now, at least at the start of the season. TR03 asks, when will the Chiefs start using Clyde Edwards-Alaire on the pa- in the passing game more or run more plays to free him up in the passing game to get mismatches? I think you started to see him getting a little bit more involved this uh, this week. Uh, I think you know, Obviously, he had a huge play taken away um, on a ticky-tack holding call down the field. Would have put the Chiefs on the 10-yard line. And it was a really great play by him. I think we gave him a lot of credit there. Uh, in in the post game show, uh, I, I think it's coming. I, I you know I think there I think last week was a positive sign for that. I think you're gonna see it uh, before you know it, and uh, you know just just give it some time. I mean he's still a rookie. Brian Dorfler asks, we all heap praise on the hiring of Matt House when the Chiefs plucked him from Kentucky. Does he deserve any of the blame for the linebacker play, or is it all players on or all on the player side? Have you seen the benefits from his coaching? Steve Spagnuolo talked about how Matt House saw some tendencies in the playoffs last year that you know allowed them to make some adjustments and was a key contributor in stopping some of the things that the 49ers did in the Super Bowl. So I do think that he is offering some behind-the-scenes stuff there. Now, I don't know if he's a good linebackers coach. I really don't know to this point. I was very excited about getting Matt House. I was fine with him as a defensive coordinator. But I don't know that he's getting the most out of this group. I think we kept talking about how they just needed to add more talent. You know, Damian Wilson... Anthony Hitchens, Ben Neiman are slow linebackers. 
Now we're seeing them not being able to tackle. Now we're seeing them misread some of the stuff. Now we're seeing them hesitant. Now we're not just... The linebacker play as a whole has been poor. And Willie Gay, the super athletic kid, can't get on the field. Now, that may be more Willie than it is Matt House, but I do think we're in a situation here where Matt House, as it goes along later on in the year... We maybe start to raise a little bit of an eyebrow if they don't get Willie Gay on the field. If the linebacker play continues at the poor level that it is right now, I think we got to start talking about that a little bit more seriously because while he may do a lot on the whiteboard, he's got to get the production on the field on that or in that position. And I think I talked about this a little bit recently because we all did, Craig and I especially, we really enjoyed Matt House as a coach. We put him on our defensive coordinator list, kind of a wild card guy that we'd love to have. And I'm not saying he's not really good with his X's and O's. I think that's pretty evident that he is. I think he is a smart coach. I do wonder, though, if he is a great positional coach. Is he getting the linebackers the best technical work that they need, or is he just a really smart guy they brought on there? And even more so, I wonder if his X and O's heavy, his very scheme-specific stuff that he's talking about, I would I would like to think that he is a very scheme-specific positional coach. He likes his scheme. He likes guys that are smart. He's got a very good IQ. Like Craig said, he's great on the whiteboard. Is that bleeding over into player preference that actually gets on the field or the types of players they're interested in? Because I think you kind of go back and look through some of Kentucky's linebackers Josh Allen, the Kentucky edge, was an off-ball linebacker, but also edge combination. And outside him, it's a lot more smarter guys, marginal athletes, and part of that's being at Kentucky. But is that the kind of guy that he likes in that role? Does he prefer smart players that are a little bit better thumping than they are being super athletes? Now, our linebackers can't thump either, but that's a different story. But like, is he playing a role in the guys that make it on the field? Potentially, and I think it is something that you have to consider if this linebacker group keeps playing this poorly, or if Dorian O'Daniel hasn't been able to figure it out now that Matt House has been here for two years, if Willie Gay doesn't show a lot of progress after next season, you might have to start looking at maybe making a change at that point. All right, that is going to do it for the mailbag edition. Shout out BJ Jones KC and Mr. Marshall 22. We'll answer your questions on the game preview edition. Those were Ravens related. We'll catch you later in the week. We'll answer those, and we'll get you ready for the biggest game of the regular season, Chiefs-Ravens. We'll catch you